Hey, Moses Schoenbrunn here. I've been having a problem in terms of finding a Chavrusa, somebody to uh, learn together with, to explore deep Torah ideas uh, that are contemporary and relevant and, and uh, super deep. Uh, so I figured I'd reverse engineer the problem, start this podcast, put out uh, a bid out into the world, and start uh, a conversation, and then... Uh, even if uh, so, one person picks up on it, uh, we're able to to explore some uh, deep tar together. Uh, it would be worth it just for that. And if not, then I get to to practice uh, talking into my phone. So this week coming up is Hanukkah. So there's a great new book, Rabbi Bernstein, Rabbi Emanuel Bernstein from Eretz Yisrael from Israel, put out this book on Hanukkah called Capturing the Light, and it's a super deep book. So start from there. So in his introduction, he talks about the Gemara and Shabbos begins on page 21, my Hanukkah. It's commonly translated as what is Hanukkah, but the Hanukkah story is, is fairly uh, simple. And what we do on Hanukkah is uh, fairly well-known or at least accessible. So uh, 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 perhaps a, a more incisive question is to ask is my Hanukkah is why is Hanukkah? Why is Hanukkah? What's the why's behind it? Not, not merely the what, but what, what are the deep uh, resources of of Torah behind it uh, to really access the day itself and to really jump into it? Now, he, he begins in, in the first chapter in quoting a medrash, part of the uh, oral Torah on the uh, second verse in the Torah. The Torah says, <speaking in Hebrew> that the world was tohu vohu, empty and desolate, <speaking in Hebrew> and dark, <speaking in Hebrew> um, on the surface of the depths. And the Medrash says that these four descriptions of negativity, desolate, empty, darkness, surface of the depths, each one corresponds to one of the four exiles of the Jewish people, uh, the two banishings of, the, of out of the temple, the first temple by the Babylonians, um, the second uh, by the Romans, the Persian exile, uh, the Perm story happening in Persia, Madai, where they wanted to uh, kill all Jews, men, women, children, and the darkness refers to the exile of the Greeks, uh, which is the Hanukkah story, where the Greeks came in um, trying to colonize uh, Israel to the Jews living in, in Israel, and um, that's referred to as darkness. The Medrash adds, uh, it's quoting Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, that Zehu Galas Yavan they darkened the eyes of the Jews, big Zayyurisayan, in their decrees. They would tell the Jews, Write on the horn of the axe. So that you don't have any portion in the God of Yisrael and the God of Israel. So there's a couple questions you could ask. Number one is, right off the bat, why are these four exiles uh, right at the beginning of the Torah? So the second verse in the Torah, the opening. Uh, Right, that's the the first basic, and then right away, and the and and the land was empty, desolate, dark surface of the deep. So why is the exile 
alluded to right at the beginning. And part of the idea is, is that all light is preceded by darkness. And darkness reveals the light of itself. And any time throughout history when um, we've experienced darkness or in the future, whenever we're faced with, with a challenge, the darkness is there to reveal something new. And that in itself is the act of creation. Because when you're uncovering that darkness and shining light, the darkness itself was a vehicle uh, for the light to be brought forth. So the exiles are just opportunities for us to discover a new light each day. Uh, that the Gemara and Kedushan, the Talmud says that the Yitzhahara is miskaber and mischadish b'chalyem, the Yitzhahara, the uh, evil inclination, the tendencies, the the things that pull us towards away from our true destiny, renew each day. And the idea is, is that each day is a renewed darkness because each day is something new to bring out to the world. We shouldn't be fighting the battles of yesteryear, uh, but, but uh, bringing out new into the world. And that's the very partnering of creation with Hashem. Now, the question in terms of Hanukkah is, why is the Greek exile... Reference to darkness. Uh, all exiles darkness. It's always dark. Um, the, the Persian exile, Babylonians are being sold as slaves. Uh, pretty dark stuff. So, so why is Greece specifically um, considered darkness? And then lastly, the horn of the ox. Uh, what's the significance there? This, the, the Greeks come in and they say right on the horn of the ox that you don't have uh, a portion in the God of Israel. It's a, it's a very strange um, lyric here horn of the ox. So if you think about it, Mary Bernstein explains, the Greek exile was quite unique in that the conventional way of understanding exile is when you're exiled from your land, when you're pushed away, when you're sent away. Now, the Greek exile is the only exile that happened in the land of Israel. The, the banishment from the temples uh, sent the Jews away from Israel, and the Persian exile happened in Persia. Now, here the Greeks came and invaded Israel, um, and like many others after them and before them, tried to um, take over the land itself. And therefore, it's unique because it gives a, a new depth to, to understanding of, of the term exile. And number one, it's a geographical exile uh, away from your homeland. And number two, there's a spiritual exile that when you're not attached to your, your true source, to your true essence, then you're in a spiritual exile. And we see the reverse as well, where you could be redeemed even when you're not in your geographical homeland. So, for example, in the second book of the Torah, the book of Shemos, which in English goes by Exodus, and, and although there may not be that much uh, significance to the English terms, like Leviticus, whatever that means, the, the 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 exodus culminates, the second book culminates in the building of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was sort of a temporary, um, uh, what's the word, where it's moving, um, uh, non-stationary. Um, it's temporary moving temple outside of the land of Israel. Um, and yet that in itself is already part of the redemption, like the Ramban uh, explains there at the end of Shemos. So, it, it's an at-home exile. Now, this this explains the, 
the, the, the Greece, the specificity of the Greek exile and the uniqueness. Uh, but what exactly was that exile then if, if, if it wasn't a geographical one? What is that clash? What's the clash here between the Athens and Jerusalem? And one of the main things that jump out, and when we say Greek philosophy or disclaimer, it, it's Greek philosophy is nuanced. Um, there's many different streams and elements to it, but the specific this at the time, the Hellenizing, uh, coming from the Assyrian Greek uh, conquerors and, and what their their vision of, of life and their way of thinking that they were trying to uh, impose on the Jews. Um, that Their philosophy developed the notion that every important question in life can be addressed through the power of human reason. Human reason alone is the arbiter of what is good and true. And and intellect uh, will define the truth and merit of any notion. And Judaism, of course, uh, as well, places great emphasis on developing wisdom. But in fundamental contrast, the intellect takes place in the broader context of a relationship with Hashem. It's, it's, the goal itself is not the intellect, but it's how am I going to use this intellect and implement it. And without having that firm clarity regarding the role of the intellect and what it serves and what's, what its purpose is, it leads towards a, a tendency of ego where you like to feel that you're in control and a, a glittering version of a, of a path towards success that I myself can embark on. That's a very uh, enticing approach. And it's a fundamental detachment from the, the higher source that wisdom uh, emanates from, and that is the exile of Greece. Now, if you think of it in terms of, let's say, a great analogy he, he cites is a battery. So if you have a battery and you have the, the whoever invented a battery is explaining to you all the properties and the characteristics and the things that are involved in the, the battery itself and explaining each element and the composition of it, it's a wondrous thing. But imagine then you take the battery and you stick it on top of your, the, your fireplace on a mantle so that you're missing the whole point. The point of the battery is you got to put it in the machine. You got to do something. You can't just sit on your mantle. That's, yeah, it's true in a sense. It's true that everything you said about the battery is true. But if you're not giving the full context, if you're not giving the full picture, so then you're missing out on the, on the, on the whole story. If you're only getting a small part of it and not showing the, uh, the greater part, that in itself is a great misrepresentation. Now, this type of, of misrepresentation, this, this type of selling something short, could be very much characterized as the deepest of darkness. Because if you know that you're completely unaware and uninformed about a subject, so then you're in the dark, but you're looking for the light. Whereas when you feel as if you already have the complete picture, but you're still missing an essential part. So then that darkness has, is, is keep, it's a darkness within a darkness because you don't even know that you're in the dark. Uh, seemingly statistics will bear out that most car accident, vehicle or accidents will happen at dusk when people still think that it's light outside because it's uh, changing gradually. And that type of darkness is the, the epitome of darkness in the, in the spiritual sense. And that is the, the clash here, the clash of, of the Greek-Jewish uh, understanding of wisdom. Um, these two vastly differing appraisals um, of, of 
how we should use wisdom is going to be the the defining character of Hanukkah and the lighting of the menorah on Hanukkah. The light that we're lighting in our lives is not merely a, a commemoration of a one-time miracle of lasting oil, but it's this idea that light in itself, wisdom in itself, anything in the physical world, beauty that Greeks so uh, emphasized, and, and the wisdom and the philosophy that they so elevated, that's all true and good. It's all true and good, but that can't be the goal. The goal of beauty is not the beauty itself, but it's when you see the beauty and you're inspired and then you go out and you want to make the world more beautiful. You want to make yourself more beautiful. You want to make life more beautiful. The, the wisdom itself is not just to have it. It's not just to have the knowledge, but to apply it into your life to make it real. So the whole idea of, of the Greek uh, bands that the Medrash opens up, that they darken the eyes of the Jews because they were saying with their decrees, what were their decrees? They decreed you can't learn Torah, no circumcision, and no Shabbos. What are these things? What's the commonality here? Commonality is that these are, right, the learning Torah, the Jewish understanding of learning Torah, for example, is that I'm going to take the Torah and and use it to teach me. The word Torah is to guide, to, to develop myself as a person, to overcome uh, my character flaws. Now, in the Greek conception, this is just a thing. You know, a character? What do you mean character? Now, that's about your your knowledge, it's about your aesthetic surface level look, but there's no character involved here. It's a key distinction between character and personality. Susan Cain writes about this in the beginning of her book, Quiet. Torah is all centered on character, it's all midos. Things that I could actually improve on. Your personality, you're born quiet, you're, you're loud, extroverted, introverted, it's all neutral. It's not, there's no inherently good thing, the fact that you're energetic or less energetic the question is in your character and things that you're building up what's essentially you those are that's all Torah and the Greeks are happy for you to learn it as abstract wisdom but when you're making it non-abstract you're concretizing it you're bringing it into your daily action you're becoming a better person uh, right now than you were a minute ago that was something that, that clashed against their very uh, basic understanding because that's saying that there's something greater than the wisdom itself because it needs to be used. It's like the battery that needs to be plugged in. And um, the ideas of, of Shabbos where, you know, you walk outside on a Saturday, it's the same exact thing when you walk outside on a Tuesday. Nothing's going to be, be different. Everything will look the same on the outside, but on the inside, in the, in the spiritual realm, uh, what, what we call spirituality could could be personality it could be your character it could be your ambitions and your dreams things that are non-tangible they don't weigh anything you can't touch love you can't touch anger you can't touch hate you can't touch generosity there's nothing there it doesn't weigh anything these are spiritual things that greeks so mightily try to to hellenize jews to deny and fire the response the lighting of the menorah fire non-physical fire doesn't weigh anything you could see it but it doesn't have any any uh distinct weight you can't hold it but yet it has the greatest impact on physical things it could destroy worlds it could power up worlds so fire we light the fire and you you like the uh 
Kabbalists say, Jewish mysticism teaches that the uh, soul is a flame. Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam, the soul of a person is, is the fire of God. And what this means is that the same way fire animates the physical, the, the soul, your character, your dreams, your ambitions, your emotions are what power your physical body. And that is the, the essential clash here. And when the Greeks are telling the Jews, right on the horn of the ox, that you don't have a portion in the God of Israel. So Maimonides comments, the Rambam says, that many people will understand the karen, the, the, the horn of the, uh, of the animal as it's prominent, as it's, as it's public space, as public uh, bio. You know, your, your profile on your Instagram page where you have your bio and you put up your motto that you live by. And, and what the Greeks wanted to write on that prominent thing, detach it. There's no, there's no pride. In lechem, there's no attachment. There's nothing higher and above the intellect. The horn that which pushes above and says, there's something on top of me that I live by, that I strive towards, an ideal that's greater than me. That was the clash. And the atheist of Hanukkah, the Beis Yosef, asks legendary question if they found one jar of oil that could have lasted for one day instead it lasted for eight days so if you do the math the miracle is just a mere seven days so why we celebrate Hanukkah eight days and you can understand that the the entire clash the entire war entire battle and struggle was a struggle between seven and eight seven is the number of natural order there's the seven days in the week Sheva Hebrew for seven is also Savea, you're full, you're satisfied. It's there, it's done, everything's packed in. You have a, a cube, it's got its six sides, and the seventh element that brings it together, that is the, the 3D world that we live in. That's the totality of existence. And yet, Judaism says, there's a, a number above that, there's the eighth, the eighth note, the eighth day. The uh, circumcision that's done on the eighth day to say, yes, there's all the physical world and all the pleasures that are there and they're all good and great and engage in them on condition that you're uplifting, on the condition that you're improving, on the condition that you're channeling it for a greater purpose, you're bringing it up, you're using it not for its own sake, but for a greater sake. Of course, that's the symbolism of, of the circumcision. That in the most sexual of desires, it could be uplifted and, and, and brought up. And, of course, the old pleasures are, have that same concept. You're not going to the mountaintop and retreating from the pleasures of the world, but you're engaging right in. Mala aretz kenyanecha, like the Maggot of Kajan says. The whole world is full. The aretz, the world, the, the, the physical world is so full of opportunities of kenyanecha to uh, your acquisitions, ways to acquire Hashem. You want to acquire spirituality. <laughs> the world is full of it. Right? Find the pleasures in the world and, and, and bring it up and and, and uh, elevate it. And that is the, the, the eighth and final um, day of Hanukkah. And that's the symbolism of, of the oil, which in Hebrew, Shmona, the number for eight, is the same uh, word shemen, 
the same root word for, for oil. Oil always floats to the top. When you mix it with, with water, you mix it with liquids, oil is going to float to the top and it's always going to stay above. There's something above, there's something higher. Circumcision is being done on the eighth day. There's there's that concept of, of shumming, of, of being not only sauvé, not only full, but shumming, being in excess, being fat, being being uh, a, a, a person of expansion. And that's what we're going for. That's that's Hanukkah. When you're lighting the menorah, you're saying that the challenges in life, the darkness in, the, in life, the darkness, not not of the obvious blatant ones of being sold out in slavery, but the enslavement that I have to my own uh, inner self, my own struggles and my own challenges that I'm facing in my life. And the things that keep hitting the the, the edge of it, I'm trying to get through and I can't and start all over again. And, and the... the 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 hardships um, that not only the world faces um, and our our communities face and our families and and really really ourselves all these struggles, Hanukkah is saying light to them in there and that's a one time commemoration of of a miracle but not only I should say but it's it's in your life bring that light. Of, of the menorah, bring that light of the neshama, bring that light of expansion into your life, and expand, and continue floating to the top, and it's okay, it's okay to be exactly where you are in the darkest of times, um, and, and and just be present in that moment, and let the the light of Torah, let the light of Hashem, let the light of, of your own uh, spark within you, let it bolster into... Uh, growing flame and the warmth of the flame to carry you uh, through the cold darkness of the exiles and eventually hit the, at that point, the sweet point of redemption of becoming uh, the most expansive self possible.